Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's teaching podcast. We are in Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss and I'm one of the team members here. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you could tune in. And yeah, if you'd like to connect with us or learn more, jump over to restorationaz.org. And uh, before we get going, I just want to encourage you, will you take a moment and just pause really quick? Every week um, at the end of the teaching, we always participate in communion. And so I would love for you to go grab uh, a small glass of grape juice, or if you don't have grape juice, just a glass of juice. If you don't have that, if you just have water, that's okay. Um, It's all about remembrance. And so grab that, uh, a small little piece of bread or a cracker, something that you have, and join us as we participate in communion at the end. And so we feel like there's There's no greater application at the end of listening to God's word than allowing the spirit to unify us through communion and remembering what Jesus has done for us. So take a moment, pause, go grab that. Now that you're back, will you please take a moment just to grab your Bible and we are going to dive in together. We're in the middle of a series right now uh, on trusting Jesus. And this is a practice series that's really crucial for us in the life of the church. And so get your Bibles ready, and then Landon's going to come up and walk us through uh, this next topic on trusting Jesus. Hello. Good morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, actually, I don't know where you should turn, maybe Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to be a little bit all over the place this morning. This is our uh, third week in our trusting Jesus practice. And if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, we do these practices a couple of times a year in order to really embrace what God is calling us to, which is both to know him and to do what he says because it's good. And so we don't just hear something on a, on a Sunday or even read it on our own throughout the scriptures, but rather we gather together as a people to practice uh, the way of Jesus together because we believe he and his way are, are worth it. And so in week one of this practice, we uh, discussed trusting Jesus with our minds and the need for a filter uh, to, to really know that we're being trained all the time on how to think and, and to contrast that and filter with uh, the messaging, the, the commercials, the advertisements, everything that's coming in, is it in line with the way and value system, the kingdom of Jesus, or is it out of alignment with the way of Jesus? And if it's in alignment, then we should celebrate that and participate in culture. And if it's out of alignment, we need to learn how to humbly and graciously uh, oppose that. Then in our, our, our discussion last Sunday, and hopefully in your practice groups throughout the week, uh, we talked about trusting Jesus with the work of our hands, our vocation that the very first commandment it has nothing to do with salvation, but before there was ever sin or distortion or anything broken or wrong in the world, Jesus as the creator commanded us to go cultivate, to work with our hands, to make the world a better place, to carry his name and character into the everyday stuff of life, whether that's as a stay-at-home mom and your work and vocation is there, maybe that's in your version of retirement or in a job that you clock in and clock out, whatever it looks like, every one of us that are followers of Jesus is called or are called to trust him with uh, the work of our hands. This morning will be our our third week, so we'll be halfway there, and and the topic is our hearts. What does it mean, what does it look like to trust Jesus with our hearts? 
And the reality is, as uh, individuals walk into this room and we gather together, that there's all kinds of different situations, all kinds of different realities when it comes to hearts that have walked into this room. There's some hearts that are doing really well and are healthy in a good place, maybe comfortable, strong, courageous hearts. There's also probably some broken and, and wounded hearts. Maybe even we, we hear phrases like cold hearts or, or numb hearts or hardened hearts that, that no longer have a capacity to feel or love or, or really transmit or participate in relationship. The reality for humanity, based on our upbringings, traumas, celebrations, the good and bad, what life has brought and how we've uh, adapted and reacted is that all of our hearts are probably in uh, different places. Some, someone in here you share some, some commonality with, and some people you probably have no idea how to relate to based on their stories. That's why we uh, value meals and lunches and this time together so much. But for every one of us, what we do have in common is that the creator, the savior, the sustainer, Jesus, knows and cares deeply and can do something to heal and guide and protect and lead our hearts in whatever situation uh, that you're in. Uh, this morning, we're going to do somewhat of a biblical survey, if you will, of the word heart in the scriptures. Oftentimes, for us on Sunday mornings, our, our typical kind of MO for studying the scriptures is to look at one passage and kind of break it down more in depth based on its culture and context, uh, typically kind of phrase by phrase, sometimes word by word. And I, I think that's typically, if there's going to be a default, the healthiest way to approach the scriptures because uh, it's maybe the easiest way to stay true to the text and what the original author meant to communicate to his original audience. However, it's not the only way, and there are many times when we need to use other biblical approaches to studying the scriptures, and I think today is one of those. The word heart appears so many times in the scriptures from cover to cover in a variety of contexts, and so kind of the work I did this week and we did as a team, and what I hope to present and discuss this morning is more of a survey, looking cover to cover at what does God say about the heart and the scriptures, what is our role when it comes to our hearts, and what is his role when it comes to our hearts. And, and we'll start in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23. I think it's a, a really foundational passage for us. It says this, guard your heart above all else, more than anything else for it is the source of life. The NIV says it is the wellspring. It's the foundation, the core of who you are. It's the, the power source, the drive, the motivation. Everything you do in some way or another is driven from your heart, the, the foundational piece that makes you you. And we're to guard it. There's two things that, that stand out here. One is our hearts are really important if they are the source of life. The, the second is we keep coming back to this in this series. It says guard. Once again, there's this military type language. It means there's something important that needs to be protected and you need to be intentional about it and know who your enemies are and know what to do in preparation. And so kind of our, our framework this morning is going to be to break down what is the, the biblical vision, if you will, what, what does the Bible lay out for us as a means of protecting, of guarding our hearts? And I think there's three primary ways 
three steps we should take, if you will, uh, if you like steps. I like kind of being somewhat organized, so that's how we're going to do this. Three ways to guard our hearts. Number one is this. You have to be aware of its weaknesses and vulnerabilities. If we want to embrace this biblical call to guard our hearts, the source of all life, first and foremost, you need to be aware of its weaknesses and vulnerabilities. I don't know if you like TV shows. I do, probably too much. And my favorite type of show is like something from hundreds of years ago with like a castle or a fortress or a town and kings and queens and they're defending it and fighting and all of that kind of stuff. And the first thing that has to happen if they're going to defend a castle or a town or a fortress is not to fortify the walls or raise up an army, but it's to, to find if there's any traitors or spies within their camp, within their group, and to get them out. You have to know your weaknesses and vulnerabilities. The second is to go, hey, let's look at our home, our castle, our fortress, and then go, where are the weak points? If an attack was to come in, where would it likely come, and how do we prepare for that? And it's, it's the same approach when it comes to our hearts. Your heart has weaknesses and vulnerabilities, as does mine. You need to be aware of ones that are unique to you, but also there's some weaknesses and vulnerabilities that all of us share in common. And the first one is the most significant one. I want to look at it out of Genesis chapter 6. We read this uh, out of the NIV translation. It says this, The Lord Yahweh saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that there's some crazy strong language here. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That is shocking. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's the NIV. I want to look at the, the HCSB. If you're new with us, the, the Holman Christian Standard Bible is the translation uh, we use uh, most commonly. It phrases it just slightly different, and, and pay attention to the differences here. When, when the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all the time. You see the difference? One says heart, one says mind. And so as we start this morning's discussion on what it looks like to trust Jesus with your heart, maybe you have a question, how is that different or the same as trusting Jesus with our, our minds and our thinking? And uh, one way I'd frame it is like this. It's like driving a car. You need both power and direction. You need a, a power source, the engine, and then a steering wheel to turn and decide where you're going to go. And one without the other is fairly useless. You can't get where you're going. The car doesn't function to do what it's meant to do. Both the mind and the heart are incredibly important. They work together and collaborate. You almost can't separate them because without the two, a car won't be a car. Yet they also have their unique parts. The, the mind and the heart is similar. If you've ever uh, driven a boat, though, you'll recognize that the power source is way more important, actually, than the steering. Because if you try to uh, drive a boat and there's no power, you're not actually moving the boat, you can't steer. A boat's different than a car. A car, you can be in neutral and still steer without power. A boat does not work that way. And so you just move wherever it's moving, wherever the wind takes you. And it's the same to some degree with our minds versus our hearts. The, they're both important, but the heart is even more foundational than the mind. Back to weakness and vulnerability. 
This might sound shocking or abrasive or harsh, but it's a reality. You and I are unbelievably, astonishingly, almost miraculously selfish people. I'm reading a book right now about helping those in need who are oppressed, who are are lacking. And one of the most foundational premises in the book, uh, written by a guy who's devoted his entire life to helping the oppressed and those in need, is that he says, you have to acknowledge first and foremost that likely the foundational reason you want to help the poor, the impoverished, the needy, the oppressed is actually selfishly motivated. There's some need deep within your heart to feel completed or or, or contributing or influential or something. Isn't that crazy? In the midst of our greatest moments to serve, love, care, it's probably rooted in some form or fashion in selfishness. If you think about getting married, maybe you're just incredible and you were like, I just love this person and I want to serve them and protect them and be there for them. But my guess is there was probably some selfish underlying motives in being completed or uh, this is the person of my dreams or everything I wanted or you see a vision for your future that's good. Or parenting is, you, is an example as well. We can care a whole lot about our, our children's behavior. We probably care differently in public though, huh? Because you go, that's a reflection on who? Me. I care about me. It's shocking. If you walk through a bookstore a decade ago when they actually existed, you would see that the self-help section is far more significant and massive and filled, both with people and books, than any other section. Why? Because it has the word self in it. In case we are still not recognizing, you like you, and I like me, And you want what you want, and I want what I want. And we can hide that in a variety of things. But at our core, since the fall, we're good at loving self. That's our number one weakness and vulnerability that we have to understand. If we're going to guard our hearts, understand its weaknesses and vulnerabilities, both ones that we all have and ones that are unique to us as individuals. But first, you've got to recognize, I've got to recognize, and not forget, I'm really good at loving me above all else. And that's not the way of Jesus. That's not good for me. That's not good for anybody. Number two. The, the second step in guarding our heart is this. Do not harden your hearts. The, the scriptures, again, from cover to cover, are filled with this language, this call to not harden your hearts. Let me read out of uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. It says this. And as I read this, uh, the author of Hebrews is, is quoting Psalm, I believe, 95, and that is referencing the Exodus. So in essence, you have Exodus, the beginning of the Bible, Psalms, kind of the middle, and then Hebrews, the end. And that's kind of important to remember because what it clues us into is that this hasn't changed, and it's the same today. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, the voice of God, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the desert where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. 
but encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. Some of you, as I say or read this term, harden your hearts instantly. You know what I'm talking about because you do it all the time. We, we, you're familiar with it. I can be familiar with this idea of hardening our hearts. Some of you are going, what does that mean, though? Now, an image that comes to mind is if I hear my children battling it out in uh, one of the bedrooms, and I run into one of those bedrooms where I hear all the commotion, and I enter the door, and the scene before me consists of my son with his fist raised, ready to pounce, which happens from time to time. And as I jump into the room and into the scene, I say, do not hit your sister. And he looks back at me. And he sees, and he hears, and I see in his mind that he understands, and then he kind of does this little calculation in his five, five-year-old now, five-year-old mind and heart. They're connected. There's, there's the drive and the power, and then there's the steering, and he kind of like lets it do its thing, and then he just goes, boom. And he hardens his heart, because in that moment, what matters most is hitting his sister. He has to bring about his version of justice what we do. Something similar happened to Eve in, in Genesis 3. We won't read it, but she lived in this perfect world that God had created, and there was this one rule, which is significant, to not take and eat of the fruit of the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil. Yet she goes to it, and Satan finds this entry point. The mind and heart are connected. He gets her to think differently than what God has said and says, no, it's actually good. She looks at it. She knows God said, it is not good. It will harm you. It will cause death. But she sees that it is pleasing to the eye, and it is good for food. In her mind, she knows, though, it's not. Yet she still reaches out and grabs. She hardens her heart because in that moment, the desire is too great. She can be like God if she consumes. Do not harden your hearts. I think there's two things primarily that harden our hearts. One is misplaced desire. Eve uh, exemplifies that for us. All of us have desires that we think will produce more for us than they actually will. In many ways, the scriptures are a variation, a culmination of different accounts of humanity having misplaced desires instead of seeking the good that God has already provided in his way that's best. She has a misplaced desire. She reaches out and grasps. But then it builds. There's a hardening of the heart there. She knows she's messed up. So does Adam. They hear God walking in the cool of the day because they used to be in perfect relationship. And what do they do? They go and hide behind a bush, behind a tree, motivated now by what in the heart? Shame. The first thing that hardens our heart is a misplaced desire, and we all have different unique ones. But the second that we'll all have in some form or fashion is shame, and it multiplies exponentially the hardening of our hearts. Now they hear God's voice saying, where are you? Come back, come to me, and instead they run the opposite way. Their hearts are hardened again, and shame causes them to hide. Misplaced desire and shame, I think, are the, the two most significant reasons that whether we recognize it or not, our hearts can be hardened. 
And maybe the, the scary thing when it comes to the hardening of our hearts is that I think it's progressive. The more you allow your heart to be hardened, the more it will be. And the harder it will get for it to soften again and become the way it was designed to be. Uh, Nate and I were talking about this this week, and he, he brought up uh, the, the series Lord of the Rings. And if you're familiar with it, it's basically a story about a really powerful ring that everybody wants. And there's lots of characters, but three stand out. They're, they're all uh, relatively in the, the same family. You have Frodo, Bilbo, and Gollum. And they all have this relationship with this powerful ring that everyone wants. But to different degrees, their hearts are entirely captivated and hardened. Frodo, on on one hand, is able for the most part to not let it totally take control of him. If Bilbo touches it, he just hates everyone, will do anything. But he's able to know that and kind of stay away. And Gollum is entirely captivated. He'll steal, kill. His death takes place when he puts the the ring on his finger and, and falls to his death. And he doesn't even care because his heart is that hearted. It's progressive. If we don't guard our hearts by not allowing them to get harder and harder and harder, it will be harder and harder and harder to stop what has started. Romans 1, uh, 21 through 25, kind of paints this, this picture. I often refer to this as the most terrifying scripture in, in all of the passages. It says this, Romans 1, uh, verse 21. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, Here we go to mind. Their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened. Progression. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Now, here's the, the most terrifying scripture, I think, in the scriptures. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their heart. At some point, God will let you do what you want to do. At some point, your heart, which is the driving power, the source of everything that you are, will win. And God will say, I've tried and I've tried and I've called and I've loved and I'm faithful and I'm forgiving and I still will be. But if that's what you want, I have to let you go. That's terrifying. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their heart to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Hasn't changed since Genesis 3. It's the same for us today. We're good at exchanging the truth for a lie, especially when it seems convenient or it feels good or we're driven by shame, the two things that drive a heart to be hardened and worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is forever praised. If shame is the reason your heart is hardened, the rest of the scriptures tell the story from Genesis 3 on of God just displaying his perfect faithful love. All he says is return, come back. You don't have to make up for it. I'll handle that. I love you. Just take steps back. That's it. Number three. The third kind of step or key to guarding your heart is to trust Jesus with your heart. And and by that, here's what I mean. To go, God, my heart is yours. I can't help it. I can't fix it. I can't change it. There's nothing I can do for my heart. And actually, maybe that isn't true. I kind of said that incorrectly. There's nothing I can do to change my heart, though. I want to 
uh, put up some slides that are con- going to compare what the scriptures say we can do for our hearts or about our heart versus what the scriptures say God only, God alone can do for our hearts. So the role we play with our hearts is this. Though there's a ton about heart in the scriptures, there's actually not that much specifically when it comes to the verbs that we can embrace. We can guard our heart. We talked about that in in Proverbs chapter 4. We can not harden it. Hebrews, uh, Exodus, Psalms, kind of the whole Bible tells us to not harden our hearts. We can store his word in our hearts, and then we can trust him with our hearts. But, But notice this about that list. You can't even know your own heart, really. You can't change your own heart, according to the scriptures. You can't heal it. You can't renew it. You can't perfect it. Like, actual transformation is not something you and I are capable when it comes to the work of our hearts. Now, here's the list for the role only God can play when it comes to our hearts. He can search and know. Psalm 139 says, search me and know my heart, O God. See if there's any offensive way in me and then lead me and the way everlasting. Notice the verbs. God's the one in charge of the verbs. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 51 says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Only God can do that. Romans, in Romans 2, Paul, uh, speaking to the church in Rome, says or describes that God can circumcise our hearts. Originally, circumcision is this symbolic power to say these are the people of God. When, when Paul refers to the circumcision of our heart that only the Spirit can do, he's saying to have hearts that belong to God, that are transformed by him, the hearts of his people. In Hebrews 4, we read that he can judge, heal, and restore our hearts. Later in Hebrews 10, he can write his word on our hearts. In Ezekiel, he can give us a new heart. He can also purify and cleanse. There's a very different degree to, to which God is capable of actually changing and helping and saving our hearts than we are. Those are two very different categories. I want to read one of them, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13. This is what uh, the author of Hebrews says. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, my guess is there's two groups of people in this room right now. There's two different ways of having interpreted that passage. Way number one actually is probably more common. And if you fall into that camp, the way you interpreted that is something like this. I cannot hide from God. God will find me, and when he does, he will stab me in the heart. (laughs) And the reality is, if that sounds crazy, shame causes us to run. If you have history in the church, unfortunately, and this is not to bash the church, I'm kind of involved in it, the church has done a lot of harm. And who God is to people, our our understanding of the perfectly good, loving, faithful, forgiving, just God is often totally wrong. And so our version is that he's just angry and he'll find me and he'll stab me in the heart, 
right? That's the feeling. And so we have shame and we hide and our hearts are hardened because we're afraid. But there's a different way to kind of interpret this scripture that I think is much more true to the whole lens of the scriptures, to who God is, the God that does not change. And it's that of a heart surgeon. It's that of a surgeon with a scalpel that is indeed very sharp, with perfect wisdom and perception and understanding, who can see every little detail within. And so he knows exactly to which part of our heart he needs to go to perform a surgery to heal, restore, and save our lives. There's still a sharp knife that pierces. But with that piercing, life-saving good happens. Somebody can't perform their own heart surgery. We cannot perform our own heart surgery spiritually. To trust Jesus with my heart is similar to laying on an operating table and going, I have no control. Please don't kill me. You trust. It means you have no influence, no control, and only Jesus is trustworthy to that degree. One of the most significant differences between trusting Jesus with our minds and how we think and trusting Jesus with our hearts is that when it comes to our minds, we can actually filter ourselves. We practice that. However, with, the, with our hearts, we do not have the capability to filter our hearts. We can not harden, that, that's good. We can guard, but we cannot change, renew, transform our hearts. Only God can do that. Maybe a, an image or a, a metaphor or picture that is helpful is that of our kidneys and dialysis. Our, our hearts pump the blood through our bodies, but our kidneys clean it and, and make sure that it's still good to go. Extra water and chemicals and things of unhealth have to be removed from our blood, and our kidneys do that. But if our kidneys begin to fail, well, then a person will need dialysis. And there's, there's two main types of kidney failure. It can be acute, just for a, a period of time caused by something specific, and the kidney function can come back, or there can be chronic, meaning it won't end, and that person will have to uh, do dialysis, experience that, receive that multiple times a week for the rest of their lives to have their blood renewed and filtered because the kidneys can't do it. When it comes to our hearts, we have chronic filtering kidney failure. And this spiritual dialysis is something that will not end until Jesus returns. Now, he's transforming our hearts. He's renewing them. He's giving us a new heart. But until he returns, there's still the filth of sin and selfishness that if we're honest, you and I know well, that needs to be removed. And we can't remove it. Only he can. We can guard. We can be aware of weaknesses and vulnerabilities. We can not harden our hearts, avoid that, but we cannot remove the impurities ourselves. This is kind of the, the main point or, or takeaway today. God, help me change my heart. God, help me change my heart. Does that sound good and like it makes sense. This is really messed up of me, but that does not work. This cannot be our main point, but I wanted to do this to show how easy it is to grasp a hold of this. Who's the main character? Who's the one doing the work in that me? And all of a sudden, God is a really great assistant. I would love to have God as an assistant. I'd get a lot more done really well. 
God, help me change my heart. How often do we approach whatever it is in our lives in that way? God, help me be a better husband. God, help me do this. God, help me do that. Compare it, though, to this statement instead. God created me a clean heart. Who's doing the work now? God, search me and know me and lead me in the way everlasting. There's a difference. But just like with Eve in Genesis 3, our propensity is to go, God, you'd make a great assistance. God, help me change my heart. We have this Nike approach, just do it. That's the worst possible idea when it comes to our following of Jesus is to just do it. We need to stop that. And instead, when it comes to trusting Jesus with our hearts, there's immense vulnerability. But his hands are trustworthy. And so instead of just doing it, we need to just show up to the appointment for this dialysis of our heart spiritually again and again and again and again. You don't have to do anything other than pray the scriptures. God, you're the subject created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. God, search my heart, know my ways, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's an offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Every morning we come up from our our pillow, it should be, God, here's my heart, filter it for me. I want to be who you've made me to be. In every area of life, cause my heart to feel what you want it to feel, cause my heart to lead to my vision so that I see what you want me to see. Because my heart, because it's the source of life, as I listen to hear what you want me to hear, in all of life, may you lead the source, the power, the drive of who I am. Because that then affects my mind and how I think, my hands and what I do for work, how I handle my stuff, every part of life. Most of all, though, do not forget this. He is good. He is love. He is trustworthy. Don't let a misplaced desire or shame cause you to run. Then Satan wins. That's all he wants. You don't have to bring anything. You don't have to fix anything. You just have to show up. And the loving Father wins every single time. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your character is perfect. I thank you that you offer to purify and clean and restore and renew our hearts so that you can continue uh, your work in this world of restoring broken stories to beautiful. All of this earth, the, the work, the businesses, the buildings, the systems and structures, you have a beautiful, good plan for and you're bringing it about. So have your way in us. Bless us with a, your spirit to overwhelm us with your love pierce into our hearts, clean, restore, and renew. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You know, there's no better reminder of just how trustworthy Jesus is than communion. He gave us that as a tangible reminder of his sacrifice, his love, but also his ongoing work for our hearts. And so we're going to invite those of you who have that relationship with Jesus to take communion here as we continue to lift our voices to him. When you're ready, you just come forward. You grab the elements here. And both in one cup, you've got a representation of his body in this little wafer. 
and his body that was broken for you and this juice that represents his blood that was shed for you. And you go back and you just pause and again, be still. Thank God. It's also a good opportunity to invite him to create in you that clean heart, uh, opportunity for him to search you, knowing that as you hold these elements, a reminder of Jesus in your hand, that um, there's no better hands in which to trust your heart with than the one that laid down his life for you. So come when you're ready, get the elements, and you can take the elements when you're ready as well as we wrap up our time. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you for his love. We thank you that he's alive and well in this moment. We know, God, that there are immense things that only you can do. And the work on our hearts is certainly one of them. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for even now being inclined toward wading in and doing heart work on us. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And again, my name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. So glad that you were able to join us. And uh, if this is your first time listening or you've been listening for a little while and um, are still doing the online thing, I just want to encourage you, go get plugged in. Um, Restoration may not be the church for you and that's okay, but I want to encourage you, go get plugged in with the local body. Is there a church in your area that you could trust and join and, and be a part of the body of Christ? There's something that is really valuable and important about journeying together with other people who are on the journey of practicing the way of Jesus. And so um, whatever that looks like, if restoration is a, a place that you could call home and you're in Prescott, Arizona, or in one of the quad cities in the area, we would love for you to join us. If not, I just really want to encourage you, um, go get plugged into a local body. It's really, really valuable. Um, and I truly believe it is important for us on our journey of faith. And so um, again, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.